Today on Thrupple Talk, we have a very special guest joining us. Dr. Hamilton is a relationship coach, research psychologist, TEDx speaker, best-selling author, certified sex educator, and the co-host of the Playing With Fire podcast. She is joining us today to talk about transitioning from a mono paradigm to a non-mono paradigm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so, Thank much. You so much for having me. Yummy. I'm thrilled <laughs> to have you here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome. Now you have such a long resume. How many things did I miss? I mean, so I have seven kids. That one usually wow. gets people. They enjoy that. They like that. Um, it's not so much a resume, but it's a nice fun fact. Yes. And I've never eaten a pot, peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my life, and I'm not allergic to peanuts. Wow. wow. Yeah. That is a fun fact. You bet you win every Never Have I Ever game that you play. I, I do. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to get those right. But now, now I've given it away. Right. So yeah. anybody who's listened to Thrupple Talk, they'll know. <laughs> That is awesome. So what are the ages of your children or age range? So the age range is from 16 to 24. So they're pretty grown now, which means, um, yeah, you haven't, you didn't miss a ton except all the stuff that goes in to um, balancing all that education and figuring out how to do what I do. I am the founder of the Year of Opening, which is a program where people explore that transition from mono to what the hell else am I doing? Mm -hmm. What exactly is possible? <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, so it's all about multiplicity for me. My whole life is. I love it. That's awesome. So that is a, a course that you offer, did you say? Yeah, it's a year long program. It's a little bit more than a course. It's a, it's a community built around a curriculum because I have people stay together for a whole year because, and I'm guessing that you all know a little bit about this from personal experience the transition of that paradigm doesn't happen overnight. Correct. It does like you don't wake up one day and just know how to meet challenges from a different perspective and know how to address all the concerns, all of your family and friends and everybody who has maintained the mono paradigm. You don't know how to do that overnight. So we stay together for a whole year and I teach tools and methods. And also we just support each other in like, what is it? What are we doing if we're not doing monogamy, if we're not buying into that story what exactly are we doing? And that's a unique story for everyone. It's not like there's just one other model. We really have to write the book ourselves. And that's such a powerful resource because we've been uh, um, interviewing thruples from all over the world now. And it always, we always ask them the same question. What resources did you find that you found helpful? They always look at us like, what are you talking about? We couldn't find any resources. <laughs> we trailblazed. We figured it out. We made mistakes. We learned from them. Like, um, So yeah. that's what we're trying to do now. We're like, well, all right, well, now we need to find where the resource is at. Yeah. 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 That's it. So key. Yeah. yeah. Just to, I, I want to backtrack a little bit, uh, Dr. Hamilton, if you can explain to our, to our listeners, what exactly is a mono paradigm? Yeah. So um, a paradigm, we could think about it as a perspective, um, your worldview, how you exist, how you imagine the world to be and what you imagine is true. Like that's how you'll operate in a paradigm. And a mono paradigm is the one that just accepts as a given that monogamy is natural, normative and fits everyone forever. And mm -hmm. 
you know, most of us, that's all we were presented. Even some of us who watched a lot of non-monogamy going on, it was never talked about or when it was, it was talked about in hushed tones mm -hmm. or with a lot of negativity. So that sits as actually more evidence of like follow the mono paradigm because right. that's the correct way. Mm -hmm. So to shift into a polyamory or a multiplicity or a open relationship paradigm, whatever you want to call it is fine. But to shift into that is to shift into a perspective where I don't take for granted that that's exactly how things always work for everyone, which means I have to stand in the mainstream culture and be myself mm -hmm. and make my decisions from that place. Not the easiest thing in the world. Mm. That's right. No. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So what are some of the paradigms that have to be dismantled in order to successfully trans transition out of a monogamous relationship? Yeah. I, you know, I, I did a podcast episode once and I titled it cheekily, Unfuck Your Mono Mind, because <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I actually have a lot of respect for monogamy. People imagine that I won't, but yeah. if monogamy is working for you, great, awesome. Absolutely. My concern is that it's not a good fit for everyone and a lot of people wind up feeling alone. So we wind up with millions of people all over the place feeling alone, which is ridiculous. Mm. Millions of people should not feel alone. Mm. Um, but in order to shift from that, um, that space of this is my paradigm, this is what I expect to be natural and normal, I have to make internal shifts like, for instance, I have to be willing to question all of the, the givens about what constitutes a happy, healthy, and successful relationship. I have to be willing to question that inside, and I have to be willing to just hold some space for what if I don't know? Mm -hmm. What if I don't actually know what a successful relationship is? Because mm -hmm. that's usually what I hear is the argument is, oh, that never works. Right. right. And that's what I heard when I joined my first throuple. It was that 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 never works. And uh, oh, you're playing with fire, which is how my podcast yeah. got its name. Because yeah. you kind of are. You When you are changing paradigm, and the same could be said if you were shifting um, any major worldview you have. Anytime you're trying to do that, anytime you're entering into a space of, you know what, my skin doesn't fit anymore, this doesn't work for me, we have to set stuff down. Um, another big thing that usually has to be de deconstructed for people is their understanding of what it means to be valued and special. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean? How will I know that I am valued and special? Because usually we use the one rule right. to rule yes. them all. Yeah. <laughs> and so what, how, how do I know I'm special? if there's more than one partner mm -hmm. in the picture. Yeah. It's, I know once people have been at this for a while, that can feel like a really simple question, but I'm often working with people who are standing right at the edge. They've either not opened at all or they have opened for some period of time, but never actually felt themselves drop into, this is not just okay. Right. This is actually my being. This is mm -hmm. what I am doing. Um, and that can take years. I, I have watched people, it, it can take 10 or 15 years for some people. I don't want it to, mm -hmm. but it yeah. can take a long time to make that kind of transition. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you actually, why, why does, why is it such a, a scary thing? I mean, every time, sometimes even on social media, we get these very negative reactions that I can see they're coming from, from fear and ang it's anger, all sorts of things. Why does it 
uh, stir such emotions in us when we want to change something like that. Yeah. I mean, I studied jealousy. That's my primary area of academic research. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever I'm talking on social media, I see the same thing. People instantly assume that along with anything non-monogamous will come a whole host of bad emotions, which is ironic because often people are showing up to the conversation with this host of bad, they're labeling them bad emotions. They don't want to feel anger. They don't want to feel mm -hmm. sadness. They don't want to feel grief. They don't want to feel the jealousy. And they didn't want to hear about it happening in any else anybody else's world. Mm. Um, I think it's really normal to feel scared of something you don't understand. The question is, why in 2024 do we still not understand that there are a lot of different ways to love people, that there are a lot of different ways to structure a life? And that, in a, in a cultural milieu that has us with so much access to information and education, that's just sad mm -hmm. that we don't understand yeah. that. Um, but reactivity is normal. Mm -hmm. It sucks, mm -hmm. but yes. it's normal. So when somebody shows up like that in that place of fear, I mean, I just feel bad for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a terrible place to be existing. I agree. Yeah. So is that, would you say that's the most common challenge or what do you think is the most common challenge that people face um, when they are wanting to make that transition, but just having a hard time? Yeah, I think it depends. I think there are two ways that that can go. One is if you're in an existing coupleship, right? There's some kind of couplehood happening and one of you wants to make the shift or has already, or they're just recognizing like, oh, I've always been yeah. multiple. I have always had the capacity. I personally, I've always fallen in love with multiple people. But I was monogamous for a long time. I didn't know that I had another option, right? So there's that way that it can go. And there's a set of pains and troubles that go with that. And then there are folks who are single and are like, I think this might be a path for me, but they don't necessarily have any community around it, mm -hmm. like another set of struggles. And, you know, I mean, obviously even a couple who's, both excited to figure out opening is still going to meet with the troubles of most of us don't have great relationship skills, period. Mm -hmm. And then we go to try to do something with a little bit more complexity, a little more nuance and having to unpack the social mores of monogamy. Yeah, of course, exactly. it becomes a little more challenging. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yes. If we had great relationship skills to start with, it would be easier. I've seen that in action. Sometimes people show up in my world and they're like, they're rocking it. They're mm -hmm. really doing beautifully. The transition is easier for them. True. Mm, yeah, I believe that. But that's not most of us. <laughs> no. no. And no. it wasn't me yeah. either. I learned, I learned the hard way. I learned how to relate well by relating really badly first. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dr. Hamilton, have you read that book, uh, Sex Before Dawn? I have. You, yeah. I, I think that, if I remember right, the premise of that book was pretty much that we were all non-monogamous. And that's something I would think about often because I feel like the, the monogamous community that is very happy being monogamous feels that we should all be monogamous. And the non-monogamous yeah. side of the community feels like, no, actually, we're all non-monogamous. You're just not in touch with your, your roots. Uh, is, it, is it one camp or the other or is it just to each their own? Are some people wired one way and some the other? What do you think? Yes. I think there's actually, first we should mention that um, – the premise that says all people are one way sounds so ludicrous to me, 
Like that all people are a certain way just sounds silly. So I, I'm just not in the business of telling people what the best way to relate is or what the most evolved way to relate is. I can say this, the skills of practicing really conscious relationship through like trying to open can really make all of your relationships improve. Mm. So you may experience some growth that even if you decide, you know what, monogamy is for me, that is how I feel wired or that is my choice. Um, you may still experience like, oh, this was still a net gain for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to get into camps because it's just not what I see play out. And I also see people shift over time. Their needs often shift and just what they want to do in the world. Not to mention, let's not forget that meeting even one person who you connect with is a blessing and it's awesome and I love it. Sometimes I don't have access to multiple people. And so I might still experience myself as, for personally, the label I use is polyamorous, but I don't always have lots of partners, right? Like, so I, again, I want to come away from the idea that we, that we have to do things a certain way in order to be more authentically human or it's just not a helpful mm-hmm. piece of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I know it's tempting for some people. <laughs> well, yes. Tempting. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. So you mentioned before when you're working with people who are already in a monogamous uh, relationship, what are the steps that you would recommend for those dyads that do want to open up? Is like, is there like an uncoupling or how, how are there certain ways that those relationships will have to change in order to successfully make that transition, especially for those that are wanting to be in a throuple where there is another like nesting partner or somebody right. else who is very significant and there's no more hierarchy. Like, cause I think that was the hardest thing for me to dismantle was the, the hierarchical relationship mm-hmm. The no, I could, I was okay right. with him having another partner, but that realization that I'm no longer going to be like the number one was mm-hmm. a little more difficult, um, right. to wrap my mind around. So what does that, what does that look like when you're advising people? Well, the first thing that I usually ask people to do is really get in touch with a, a whole bunch of aspects of themselves that they probably set aside and not looked at for a long time. Because the longer you've been coupled in a particular dyad or just practicing serial monogamy and practicing being in a dyad, the more you have probably put into the this is just how things are mm-hmm. category. So again, you're building, you're not just in a paradigm, you're strengthening it, Mm. right? You're defending it even. And so I ask people to take quite a bit of time at the beginning to unpack, not, it's, it's not just about unpacking the relationship that they're in, but unpacking who they are. Why do they want to do this? Why do they want to have relationships at all? Mm -hmm. Like forget what kind of relationship, why are you in intimate relationships? Why do you want to connect? And then, um, I actually, the piece I think people miss most frequently um, is grief. Mm. Most people don't actively seek out grieving. And yet when you're making a paradigm shift, you're going to go through a period of time where you have to look at who you were, how you lived, what you, what you valued, acknowledge it and say, that version of me is coming to completion. Mm -hmm. There is a new version of me. It's not that you're grieving the marriage or the relationship. It's that you're grieving what was your everything that you were and your imagined future. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. All of us yeah. have an imagined future. 
And that <clears throat> has changed. And sometimes it changes on a day. I mean, my, my life changed like on a dime. It was so fast. I didn't know I would need so much time to grieve that. So I actually ask people to consciously acknowledge and honor what came before and participate for themselves in a grieving ritual for themselves about who they are and how they're adapting to whatever their new structure is. And also with whatever partner they currently have. Okay. Time to honor what was and move forward. And for some people, they report that this feels a little bit like getting a divorce, only more real. Mm -hmm. Because when you get a divorce, I don't know whether any of you have gotten one, but you just stand in front of a judge and like, boom, it's done. There's yeah. no moment where you like drop into yourself and you're like, wow, okay. There's all of my community and they're honoring the change and this is, I'm being witnessed. Often that only happens at the beginning of something, but we mm -hmm. don't do that at the end. Not in all culture, so, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Like, we need to shift that. And the good news is we can shift that. On an individual basis, you can just do that differently. You don't need anybody. It's awesome if you do have some community who can stand mm -hmm. there and witness you making this conscious change. It's amazing. And that step coupled with a lot of self-reflection and awareness of what you need, what you want, what you're designing, those two things go a long way to actively moving toward, oh, this is this is the life I want instead of just bumbling along, hoping that you figure something out. And often then having relationships that somebody else designed or picked out mm -hmm. for you. You know, you might pick up a book or even a program like mine and think, I need to do it the way they do. Right. It's yeah. always going to be custom. Yeah. So it's getting those skills. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because it's the first time I hear that about grieve, grieving something that was or could have been. Because when uh, we all were a V dynamic, uh, Josh being the hinge when we first started, and uh, then we became a throuple. And uh, I realized that I have to uncouple from Josh in order to be uh, the partner that I have to be for sure. It was something that I realized on my, by my, by my own, on my own without reading anywhere else. And I did feel grief for my relationship with Josh. It was short yeah. and it was a positive thing. But I felt it. And I've never heard anybody else talking about it before. Yeah, it resonates yeah. so deeply with me, too. I definitely I recognized it as grief um, when Josh you know, knew he was polyamorous. And I knew that I wanted to pursue this throuple with him. But definitely there was that that grieving the dreams of what I thought would come. But at the same time, also welcoming the dreams of what could be, but it just wrestling with, with yeah. that balance of you have it's, to let go of one in order it's like to that have thing, the other. Your, your new life is going to cost you your old one. Yeah. 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 And, but knowing I, I did, I would never choose to go back. Right. But, and that's where I think, like you're saying community, like I didn't mm -hmm. have community. I, I didn't have any friends that, right. Who that could you talk to? I, we <laughs> understood yeah. even, even friends in the polyamorous community, they also were polys. So that, there was not really that same grieving process for them that I had, you know, in my experience, um, it didn't have any, any family that would understand or that I could talk to. So that's where I think, you know, your community that you have, um, in your one year program and then the, the Thruple Talk, uh, connection hub that we have on Facebook for specifically for Thruples, like just having resources like that, like, I hope it makes a huge difference for people that are trying to make this 
transition and experiencing all this wide range of emotions. It's so important. And it's not at all surprising to me that that you didn't know or nobody named it for you, right? We're not really in the business in this particular culture. So I live in New England in the United States. Nobody's in the business really talking about relational feelings beyond just, are you happy? Are you fine? Is it okay? Um, Or celebrating, like we get to celebrate things, but we rarely get to acknowledge like, oh yeah, this is, this is a death of some part of me, or this is the ending of something that I thought would be. And sometimes also, let's just name, sometimes we start into this and we don't know where it's going to go. It's not like there's just an automatic guarantee of like, I'm going to love the new paradigm. It's going to be perfect for me. I don't know. I didn't know that when I started. It was a leap into faith. That's what I was just just jump. (laughs) You'll see what happens. But see what happens. Also the recognizing that my the future that I dreamed of also is not guaranteed. That's not promised either. So right. Yeah. It's all a fantasy. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes exactly. the things you think you want, you find out later, you're like, actually I don't want those. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Can we change this up a little bit? But you you have to try. You have to try. You have to yeah. try. Right. Experimentation is the name of the game in my in my world. I I think that most people, unfortunately, we were taught to form our relationships and then freeze them. Mm-hmm. Same with businesses too. Like you like make a business and then you like freeze it in shape and we forget that, no, 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 these are living entities separate mm-hmm. from the individuals in them. The, the living, breathing, like, oh, this thing needs to be able to change and grow. And mm-hmm. I encourage people to intentionally make, for instance, very short-term relationship agreements, mm-hmm. very short-term, a week to four weeks long. I call them minimum viable agreements. Mm-hmm. And we learn the process. It's a very specific process that I teach. And um, what we do is have these short-term agreements so that you know this is not staying. You're experimenting. Go break some shit. Go mm-hmm. find out what doesn't work. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Go yeah. learn what will work by doing some stuff instead of trying to guess and get it right. That, mm-hmm. that drives me crazy when we, we think we somehow need to get it right. And unfortunately, our friends and family who care deeply about us, but who are in the mono paradigm, they often implicitly expect perfection out of our throuples. They implicitly just expect that, okay. That's um, a good point. Yes. If it's going to work, it better work a hundred percent. They don't even know what work, they don't define their terms. What does work mean? <laughs> and then they expect this perfection that they would never expect from somebody right. going through regular ups and downs in life with one partner. Yes. Um, and all we've done is add a little bit more complexity and less support. So that's really unrealistic. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because we were just having a conversation, I think, the other day amongst um, the three of us about how many throuples say they are close. You know, like we're close throuple. And we're thinking, yeah. you were close when you were a couple, too. And you <laughs> fell into this. So you don't know what yeah. the future holds. Like, hold it with an open oh, yeah. hand. Have a, an open mind. You never know what's going to happen down the road. Yeah. So, Yeah, I love that phrase, the open hand. Just like, hold it gently like a little bird. Yeah, you don't know what the future holds <laughs> 10, even 15 years down the road from now. So, uh yeah. And also I find it interesting too, what you said, um, you know, our, our family, our parents, are they, they hold us to this ridiculous standard. Oh, you're a throuple. We're like, and we get those questions all the time. Do you guys fight? Yes, we fight. <laughs> Do you fight? <laughs> Everybody yeah. has fights and arguments and right. disagreements and we're humans. Right. And honestly, if you don't, I'm just as worried about you. Right. Oh, yeah, right. 
just as concerned. Different concerns, but yes. just as concerned. Yes. We all heard about the, the couple that uh, never fought, then all of a sudden they're not together anymore. <laughs> right, the right. And then their children grow up and war. don't know how to express con conflict. Yep. Yes. Eh, my inner psychologist can't help but mention that's not a great way to go. Yes. If we could just relax our grip around perfection. But I do think there's value. One of the exercises I have people do, and anybody could do this today, is ask yourself, what is relationship for? Like, what do I think intimate relationship is for? Mm -hmm. Like, just write for yourself, like two or three sentences. Maybe it'll turn into a paragraph or send yourself a voice text of like, what is relationship for? And then meet up with your partner or partners and together say, compare notes and say like, so what is this relationship for? Mm. Like, really? What's its purpose? And then remember that that's still in a time box because what your relationship is for right now, you know, I've, I've raised seven children. The youngest is about to turn 17. What my relationships were for, for the last 25 years is not going to be true forever mm -hmm. because now these birdies are flying the nest and they don't need me in the same way. So can you allow yourselves to really recognize like, what is the purpose of this relationship? Because from there, now I can start to acknowledge what are our individual needs? What agreements do we need to have in place in order to meet those needs? Where are my boundaries and bottom lines? Like this is all the meat of what goes into a great relationship with any number of person. And for me, it starts with these simple exercises like grieving and figuring out what your relationship purpose is, those sorts of moves. They just, they just make every relationship feel better. Hmm. So did I understand Love correctly it. that when I would ask the question, what is the relationship for? Am I looking at something that would uh, defy time or is it something like short for the I next like month or so? Personally, I like to think about my relationships um, on different scales. So I'm dating someone new right now. And when I talked to them about what this relationship was for, we were, you know, two weeks old. <laughs> like, that's it. So we talked on the scale of like, now. <laughs> we didn't even talk about a defined time range beyond like, I don't know, but like before the next time I talk to you, I'm thinking I would like it to be for this. I would like it to be for fun. I would like to, it to feel juicy to me. Um, but I have some very long-term partnerships and those I think about on like a three to five year basis. Like what is this relationship for? Um, with my anchor partner, we actually re-acknowledge every three years. We have a full, you're in or you're out. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. um, let's renegotiate from ground zero. Like let's, let's just do that. And the relationship purpose is key to that. Like, what is this for? What needs in me is it serving? And what do we want to do together? Like, where are we going to spend our life force? Because we got some. Let's, let's do it the way we want to. That's mind-blowing to, to be in a relationship with someone that every three to five years, you give them the opportunity to re-establish their needs and to just say no if they don't want to. It's such a vulnerable place to be. It's <laughs> yes, amazing. It is. Yeah. I, I yeah. love it. I love how it makes me feel. Oh my God, that's a good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fun. I actually love, so we've done three now. Um, my anchor partnership is 10 and a half years old. So we've survived three um, in, in an intact state where we actually have, I in most ways, deepened the relationship, but we have removed a couple of things and so it's not an all or nothing, but it could be. And that is the scary part. A lot of people are like, wait, you mean you just, you just come to the table every three years in September, you come to the table expecting that he might say to you, I'm sorry, love, but I'm out. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And what I always say in return is, yeah, you know what? That's actually how every day is right. anyways. We're just right. making it conscious that month. That month there's like, I know it's coming. But it also means that we don't have to stand in a place where we're, we're waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. We also have this gift of the calendar itself is going to say, hey, you know what? Time to look at those agreements again. Time to like freshen up, like make sure you're having the conversations. And that's an incredible burden lifted because often one person in a particular relationship configuration will be the one who like administrates and manages whether everyone's happy. And so they're the one who is unconsciously put in the position of needing to say, we got to talk about something. Mm -hmm. And so I like to take some of that and put it on the calendar. And mm-hmm. ask the mm-hmm. ask the calendar itself to hold that for me. Um, it's really freeing for me. Yeah, that's I love fascinating. It. Yeah, <laughs> vulnerable is exactly mm-hmm. the, the yep. right word for that. Yeah, but that brings for a, such a better quality of relationship rather than mm-hmm. being scared to address the problems and giving somebody the option to leave or or stay. And uh, yes, yeah, so much better quality of relationship. Yeah, and us polyamory folk really know how to use Google Calendar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What things could a thruple uh, just starting out do to increase their chances for success? Mm. Well, the first thing they can do is identify what success is for each of them, Mm. because most likely it's not actually the same. Mm, Um, A lot of us were trained to think of longevity as being success, but Mm. we don't need like, let's look at the divorce rate is... Is monogamy working out for everyone? No. You know, longevity. And lots of monogamous marriages that end were very successful. Beautiful Mm -hmm. children raised, um, households built, fortunes built. Like like people do amazing things in their partnerships. But we like, if we judge it by longevity, then we would say, oh, that's a failure. And that's, that's really a very narrow way of of imagining how how many things could be successful. So I would want everybody to list what they think successful would look like. Um, One of the things for me is, is this relationship serving my individual growth? Um, Another is, am I able to serve and show up for my partner's growth? If I'm not, I would not call this relationship successful. If I'm feeling um, burdened and like like I'm really disengaged from them, Ooh, that's mm-hmm. not going to feel successful. So I would have them define what success is. And then I would say, set yourself up for um, many more conversations in a regulated state than you've ever had before. So let's like talk about the fact that you have a nervous system and your nervous system is the only way you interact with the world. Like the only way you, you receive any information is because you happen to have a nervous system and a brain. Yay. Mm -hmm. Most of us have most of our relationship conversations when we're dysregulated, when our nervous system is fried or we're we're really upset already. So I ask people to start putting on the calendar, again, use the calendar, Mm -hmm. not just for dates, but use it to start scheduling conversations at a time when you have the time to regulate your nervous system, co-regulate together by coming together, having a hug, um, maybe get in the hot tub for a little while, whatever you need to do to like co-regulate, bring your systems together and then have conversations from that state and not just from that dysregulated state. Mm. There are a ton of other things, but those are the two that come right to the top of them. 
This mm. is something that actually I think we noticed with all the throuples that we have interviewed and including ourselves at the beginning of the relationship, uh, everyone would have like weekly check-in meetings where they would talk yeah. like calmly about whatever issues. And they all figured that out on their own somehow. Too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. I think that the, the you know, the relationship check-in um, is... I think it's intuitive to a human who has experienced some um, attunement to another person, whether that was a parent or whether that was a good friend, someone who showed up and modeled for them like, oh, we show up for each other when we're also in a good state. We don't just show up when we're in a mess. But not all of us experience that. Lots and lots of people. And in a throuple, frequently, at least one person will have experienced a lot of trauma or dysregulation or struggle in their life. Mm -hmm. So we may need to put some tools in, like a relationship check-in, maybe even with a formal process of like, here, this is how we do this, in order to scaffold, like make an actual system where it's not just one person deciding how the conversation goes, because usually, again, there's one person who will drive those conversations, but instead offer you a little bit of a tool. You know, I'm thinking about like the Multi-Amory podcast talks about the radar discussion. Mm -hmm. I teach the three relationship meetings. There are tons of different formats. Whatever they are, just use something to help you have conversations that are generative and allow you to regulate when you're going to feel some ick, because we all feel mm -hmm. ick at some points in all of our relationships. It's just how it is. Yep. Um, so yeah, I love that people find it, but I would love for everybody to just know it. Wouldn't it be great if our parents had all done that too? Mm. Yes. <laughs> we talk about yes. that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, something that um, I hear, so I think a week ago, two weeks ago, I went on the internet and I, I Googled, why don't troubles work out? Because I was like exasperated about the pe people saying, well, we knew this trouble and we knew this trouble and now they're not together anymore. So um, I feel like sometimes two people get in a relationship and maybe they don't um, fuse that well. Maybe they have things that don't really they don't agree on. And then now you add a third person. So the disagreements or the things that are important to you in a relationship tend to be even more. Is there something that you could do to um, um, hold space for somebody's needs, even though at that time you're not capable of like meeting them? Yeah. I, you know, I think this relates to the question that I heard Shar ask earlier, which is, you know, is there a decoupling that mm -hmm. needs to happen? Um, that's not quite the language I would necessarily use, though I think it's good language. I usually think about disentangling or mm. unenmeshing. So the, yes. the concept of enmeshment is actually out of family therapy, right? Where mm -hmm. an, one parent is like pretty overwhelming and they just sort of subsume the whole being of the child. Sometimes all the children in the family, sometimes just one. So the enmeshed person winds up feeling totally symbiotic with the other. And that mm -hmm. happens in a lot of couplehoods too. We become totally enmeshed and we can't actually tell their needs from our needs. And so when our needs, like when we feel them in our body as unmet, we feel like the other person has a duty, a responsibility to meet them. And in a way, they're not wrong because the implicit contract we made is probably that you meet my needs, I meet your needs, and we'll try not to die. <laughs> but <laughs> we need to move away from that, and we need to move our implicit expectations into explicit uh, agreements and communications as much as we can. And that's going to mean needing to not really 
first acknowledge what are these needs? A lot of times those needs that somebody's saying like, you know, my, my, maybe it's my sexual need wasn't being met. Okay. That's still really vague. You know, as a sex educator, that is real vague. I'm going to need you to get way more specific. Tell me about how that feels in your body. Tell me what exactly the need would look like, feel like, sound like, taste like if it was fulfilled. And now I start to get into the nuance of what if I take responsibility for my needs and meeting my needs and also engage with my partners in a way that says, I would like to request that these needs be met or partially met by my partners and accept their no gracefully because mm-hmm. they're not always going to want to or have the capacity to. And, mm-hmm. and so being in all of that is holding space. What if I can acknowledge you have a need? Let's like make it the obvious one. Desire discrepancy is the big reason why people explore open. Like that is the right. number one reason people show up in my office is we want either different kinds of sex or different types of sex or different types of intimacy. And when there's that gap, can I just be okay with the difference? Can I allow my partner to be different and other than me? And that's why I think of non-monogamy as the potential for individuation because I have to really acknowledge, wow, that person is not the same as me. And then I have to hold it. Not just acknowledge Mm -hmm. it on a Saturday morning when I feel okay with my coffee, but (laughs) hold it on Monday morning when I'm in a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of learning to hold my heart, hold my emotions, and be patient with the fact that my partner's needs, wants, desires, their boundaries, their capacity are different and they're going to change over time. Um, I can learn how to work with that. Mm -hmm. And in a throuple, you have the unfortunate moment where you're going to have to watch someone meeting your partner's needs (laughs) when you don't want to. And that's my favorite. It's not even when you can't, when you don't want to. So theoretically, this should be great. Like, yep. I don't want to meet that need. And you are fantastic, except that's usually not how it goes. Mm, <laughs> not always. No. <laughs> yeah. Like once you're, yeah. Right. Once you practice, that. hopefully it's better. But like, yeah. how many times I can picture myself in early days being absolutely unavailable to one of my partners and utterly pissed that he was getting that need met somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah. Because humans are complicated. Fulfill that need <laughs> being passively aggressive and giving you the silent treatment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how is this even working? Are we even in a relationship? And <laughs> from the outside. You're, you're supposed to suffer right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. From the outside, I think most of us can see that. We can see it in our friends, um, our monogamous friends, our polyamorous friends. We can see it in them. But inside, that is real, real hard to see. Like, look in that mirror. So that's where I think learning how to regulate your nervous system is probably the number one skill that people miss out on really early in the game. And Mm -hmm. if you have a trauma history, dealing with that. Get yourself into whatever, like, whatever kind of therapeutic modality is working for you. I don't care what it is. And deal with that stuff because we have this opportunity come up to witness our partners meet their attachment needs through other connection. And that will feel triggering and we can grow from it. It is completely natural that we feel it because jealousy is hardwired in infants. We can see it in infants. It's wired to keep you connected to your attachment figure. So it makes sense that you'd be upset 
and you're a grown-up now. So we need to figure out how to deal with that in a grown-up way, but we weren't taught how to. I've done thousands of jealousy interviews. I've never met anyone who said, oh, yeah, my parents really worked with me on my jealousy. (laughs) Not once, not ever. Yeah. No, it's something you run from. Yeah. 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 But, or we use as proof of love even better. Oh, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know I have learned so much about myself through my jealousy. And I could say, too, like, it is amazing once you get on the other side of a jealousy experience to the, the joy that does come from seeing your partners in that new light after you've dealt with that is something that's unmatched and it's absolutely worth it. But if you don't have those tools and you have that jealousy, like it's so painful. And yeah, like you said, like it's inevitably going to come up. It has to, or what kind of relationship really do you have? And and monogamy doesn't protect us from jealousy either. No, we, Mm -mm. we, it just doesn't, or jealousy would have long since been expunged, Mm -hmm. but it It protects us from having to deal with it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) It, it lets us tell a bunch of stories about it, but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't actually do the job, doesn't save us from it. And it doesn't actually give us more skills for what to do to transform that experience into more intimacy, into connecting yes. with my partner and connecting to myself. Um, and that's all possible. I don't try. I never try to cure jealousy. I think that that is a fool's errand um, because jealousy is a threat detection system. I don't want mm-hmm. to. I, w- I don't want to cure your anger either. Right. Like that's silly. Um, I instead I want you to be able to work with it differently. And I just think it's so interesting in in thruples in particular of all the non monogamy structures, thruples, especially nested thruples who have committed to like life partnership building you have a unique experience to really be in that attachment creation, like nurturing, relating with multiple people and to experience the intensity of jealousy and the intensity of compersion over and over and over again. Like Mm -hmm. you're just in it and it's like, it can like pulse in the household. I find it to be a high and a low (laughs) that's, it's really attractive, but, um, most people don't get a ton of experience with it because they they don't even get to talk about it. So then they don't even really get to process it. They feel like they should yes. hide their jealousy and right. only mm-hmm. celebrate their compersion, their joy for their partner's joy. But mm-hmm. in fact, this is this is some of the juiciest stuff that will ever come out of relationships is these big emotions and how we learn to ride those waves together. Yes. Right. Build, build trust in the relationship while we're, talk- we're talking about them and dealing yeah. with them. Yeah. yeah. When I first uh, started practicing non-monogamy, everybody was talking about how uh, they're not jealous. And I was like, why? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's normal. I'm jealous. And uh, now, since we started the podcast and we started speaking with more experts on jealousy, uh, I'm seeing that jealousy is normal and we should be talking about it. And I run away from it because I have heard uh, non-monogamous or polyamorous people saying, if you're jealous, that, that you're not really non-monogamous. There's right. something wrong with you. Yeah. They're so. they're literally wrong. So this PhD yeah. over here would like to tell <laughs> yeah. them yeah. you're Thank wrong. You. And um and and unfortunately what I fe- what I hear in there is actually I hear a deep wound. I hear them cutting off um a one of the most powerful human experiences, which is any emotion, right? And cutting it off and labeling it as bad. And what happens to anything that we cut off and label as bad? It goes into the mm. unconscious of both our personal selves and our culture. Tell me America has a jealousy complex. It shows up every day because we don't talk about this openly. And we say, and, and non-monogamy, like 
the culture of it, right? There are, there are millions of us, yay. But the longer we push that into our group unconscious, the worse it gets. And I do think that there are better and better conversations happening right now about the nuances of there's a difference between my feeling jealousy and my acting out jealousy. There's a difference between my experiencing jealousy as a motivator to um, have conversations that I wouldn't have had or even change my relationship structure right. and controlling other people. Like those are mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. But again, we have to get into the nuances of it and we have to allow time for all of us to learn how to do that. Right. For me personally, uh, I've noticed that every time I experience jealousy is from because I feel insecure about something. There's something mm -hmm. that I know I should be improving about myself or my behavior, and that's where it stems from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about jealousy and they'll say, jealousy is just insecurity. They'll actually equate it. So I think for some people, there is, there's this thread of insecurity. But, you know, for other people, I hear stories of how jealousy comes up for them when they feel a, a particular threat, like it, it resonates for them. They feel an old ping. Maybe mm -hmm. they were raised in a household where they didn't receive um, actual care, like they didn't really get looked at. And so when they see their partner turn away, they may experience jealousy, even though that partner is not doing anything wrong because they're feeling an old ping from a very, like a, a pre-verbal wound. Other people experience jealousy when they actively have not advocated for the relationship that they want. They have instead mm -hmm. just gone along with what their partner wants and never actually created the structure that would support them. And so the underlying um, snarl is that they don't consent. They don't agree to what they're in, but now mm -hmm. they're going along with it and jealousy is coming up to tell them, hey, this is a problem. This is a problem. Deal with it. Um, so there are a lot of versions. I like to think of jealousy comes in flavors. What flavor is yours? Um, mm -hmm. If it's insecurity, that's actually, it can be one of the best kinds because that can be motivating and it can almost be more yes. like envy, which is a very motivating experience. But if it's attachment-based jealousy, yeah, it's probably going to be more about turning your attention back to the actual agreements and conversations that you have with your partner. And have you chosen a partner who wants to show up for you? Not all partners mm -hmm. do. And yep. mm -hmm. so you might be, you might be in a particular situation that isn't a good fit for you because it just feels familiar and you keep getting into those situations. Yeah, yeah, good point. That's something I always question when I hear that somebody's jealous. I'm always asking, is your partner doing the right things though? I don't know. Yeah. It's good to question it, yeah. I think for me, I definitely had a lot. I've never heard anybody explain it that way. So thank you so much for that clarification. And I think a lot of my jealousies and envies have been more around attachment based, I, I think if I'm understanding you right. And it was not Josh forcing me into a corner or forcing me into a certain type of relationship, but me following along with what culture and religion and, you know, these things that I was raised with were telling me my rela relationship needed to look like. And right. so then later on when it's like, you're given this, and when he's saying, well, I want a relationship that looks like this, like, but but we can't do that. You know, we're going to lose everything we have. And then, yeah, just right. re recognizing where that fear was coming from and allowing my paradigm, again, to go back to that mono paradigm, allowing that paradigm to shift, be like, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's a different style approach to this relationship that looks nothing like what it has looked like, but it's so much more fulfilling for 
for us and now yeah. for all of us. Right. And you can heal that stuff too. Like if it is coming mm-hmm. from an attachment wound, I mean, I, I, w- I, um, you know, coming from an attachment perspective, my own personal attachment, if I were to take a quiz, um, up until seven or eight years ago, I, um, would test as disorganized attachment, supposedly the mm-hmm. hardest type to treat, the hardest type to untangle. Um, and I now have what would be classified as earned secure attachment to more mm-hmm. than one person. And that comes through years and years and years of negotiating and navigating my needs and really allowing myself to feel the jealousy and feel what it was trying to teach me so that I could create relationships that feel secure for me, which Mm. won't look the way it does for anybody else. It's unique to me. And that, I mean, that was a benefit of non-monogamy. Nobody told me was there. Everybody told me I was going to be dealing with far more insecurity, far more problems, Nobody told me, oh, you know what? This is actually going to be your psychological growth work. This is actually going to be how you individuate. This is actually going to be how you learn finally to have healthy relationships. And it was all those things. And I see my clients do that too. And I'm like, it's like a secret. And I know that there's a bunch of people talking about it, but wow, it's not quite loud enough yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. I can relate to that. Absolutely. I think this relationship, our proper relationship made me so much better in so many ways. I'm a different person today than I was two years ago. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Hamilton. This has been incredible. Yeah, I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Subscribe to our channel and share our videos with people just like yourselves. And if you're in a throuple or want to be, please join our Throuple Talk Connection Hub on Facebook. And we'll see you next time.